and the very, very limited sample size we saw, man, like his upside is the best tackle in this class. His upside is a is a bona fide stud tackle in the league for the next decade or so. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Friday, February the 23rd. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, director of published content here at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. You can follow me on social media at Easton Freeze. I'm joined, as always, by producer JT. You can follow on social media at JT underscore Runke. JT, how are you? Uh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm all right. I have mixed feelings about about today and how it's going Uh-oh. uh but i'm doing all right i'm doing good excited and why would that be, be? At the combine what's, next what's week wrong? what's on your mind well i'm happy because baseball is back but i'm also sure. incredibly sad because there's ah. never been a season that's more over than it is today like the we the season's yeah, already are you over. sure about that are the you season's sure? over the season's I over been, I, okay. I i i had so Anyone who's listened to this show for a while knows that this is the time of year where I start to poke fun at JT and he pokes fun back because I'm a Braves fan. He's a Mets fan. He's much more a baseball fan than I am, though. So I'm the annoying like everybody has that friend that um, like pays marginal attention to the NFL. Right. And then they're, they their parents are from you know, Missouri. And so they throw on their Kansas city chiefs Jersey through the playoffs and pretend like they care. And, and they, that you hate that person. That's like pretty much me with baseball. If I'm being a hundred percent honest with you, I will watch the Braves throughout the season, but that's it. I won't watch other teams. And then I'll watch the postseason. And that's, that's my extent of my knowledge on it. JT tries to watch the Mets, but they make it really hard on him. Um, because everybody just dies before the season. I, you say it's never been more over. I I'm old enough to remember this time last year, you had a, a pretty important pitcher also die before the season. How is this not just the same thing? Because we had other pitchers as well. But ah. now the pitcher that we had. The, this is, was the is pitcher. Dead. Oh, no. Yeah, this is oh, the no. pitcher. Senga is, is going to be limited. What happened to I saw he got hurt. What happened? How? Something in his arm. They're shutting him down. He won't be ready for like three months. So like, oh, good. it's going to be really tough. But good, also good. I say it's over because the first spring training game of the year was today. And the it was the Dodgers and the Padres. And the Dodgers put up eight runs in the first inning, the top of the first. So like just the season's over. And that's not even with Shohei or Freddie Freeman or anybody in the lineup. Like it's, it's never been more over. Like just canceled the season. Give okay. it the Dodgers because they spent the most money, and let, let's just move on with our lives. Nah, no, 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 no. Dodgers are going to run into a brick wall called the Atlanta Braves, and mm, it's just going to yeah, be a sure. redo over the right. past couple of years. Um, this is not a baseball podcast, though. No. We are here today to talk about the Combine. JT, as you mentioned, you and I headed back to the Combine. The Hot Read Pod is going to be at the Combine for another year. We are stoked. Uh, we've been talking a lot about it in the run-up to this because your first year at, at the Combine, it's a lot of just kind of figuring out how things work. And just kind of you know feeling out the vibe, and now um, we're stoked to be able to go back because we can do so much more planning on the front end because we know what the heck is going to be going on, we know what we wish we would have done differently. So it's going to be much better content from us. It's going to probably be more content from us. Uh, it's going to be a good time, and we are really excited about it. That is the topic of today's episode. We are going through our 2024 NFL Combine Primer, essentially just emptying our mental notebooks on what we are expecting to see, what we want to have, you know, what questions we want answered while we're there in Indianapolis next week, and which players we think have the most to gain or to lose at the Underwear Olympics in Indianapolis next week. We're going to get into all of that and um, discuss with you all 
what we are expecting. We would appreciate it if you join the conversation like our buddy Kenneth is. Longtime loyal listener Kenneth says, bring us all of the 40 times in RAS scores. We are going to go, and we will not return without all of them. I promise, Kenneth. Um, that is what the Underwear Olympics is, of course, for. Um, but if you want to join Kenneth in the conversation today, give us your thoughts, comments, questions on the combine coming up next week. You can do that by joining the uh, comment section of the Broadway Sports Media's YouTube page live stream. So go to Broadway Sports Media on YouTube, find this live stream, and in the comment section of that video, that's where you can be a part of today's conversation. We'd love to hear from you and take any questions or comments that you might have on the combine. While you're there on the YouTube page, if you could hit subscribe for us, it's very helpful. It is free to you to hit that button. It costs nothing more than a click of your finger on your mouse. And it is very helpful to us because we want to get that number up as much as possible. We're trying to get that number north of a thousand as soon as possible. Maybe by the draft is kind of our lofty goal. We can't do it without your help. So help us out. I I know you hear these pleas all the time on every show you listen to. Subscribe to this, rate that, do Yes, and that's it's cool, and you ignore it, and I do it too. Everybody's everybody's been there, right? Make this the one time you actually go and do it, and do a good deed, and feel good about yourself today. We would appreciate it. Um, okay, where do we want to start on this, JT? Now that we've gotten the first little Met slander of the year out of the way, which is of course the most important thing. Um, let's you know what? Let's start with this, and and we we were talking about this, you and I, um, just trying to. How do I phrase this? People ask us all the time how we approach the draft and the best way to consume the draft, depending on what situation you find yourself in, whether you're a casual fan or a diehard fan, whether you're in the media and and you're you're trying to find the time um, to devote to the draft. You're not quite sure how to approach it. There are a thousand different ways that you can approach consuming draft content and in our case, producing draft content. And we talk all the time about being uh, as genuine and honest as we possibly can with you guys on this show, because we value you all, our listeners, and we respect you all enough to just give it to you straight. So here is how we attack the draft, and we've been doing this on the Hot Read Podcast for two going on three years now. I feel like we've gotten pretty good at what we do, and what we do is this. We are not the tape grinders that some folks out there are um, when it comes to building our own big board with with uh proprietary algorithms and grading systems and and watching every guy and building an opinion on them from scratch starting in October collecting all 22 film and patreons and back channels and and emailing schools and asking for coaches tape all of that stuff not our that's that's not our vibe that's not what we do we got a lot of friends in this market and outside of this market that do that kind of thing and we have them on the show all the time we recommend them to you all the time and so if you're looking to get into the nitty-gritty on those kinds of things our buddy james foster at a to z film room does a phenomenal job of doing that obviously we all know that's the case um stony keely with the Subros network he does a really really awesome job with that kind of thing um there's some guys that are more national like uh marcus whitman is a guy that we are now friends with um who who has a, a big youtube i think it's uh t GF, the franchise guy, is the name of his big YouTube channel. You want to check that out. There are guys out there like that that are grinding the tape, putting in like 10 to 15 hours minimum a week watching these guys, and that is awesome, and that is great. We just, you know, there's not enough hours in the day for us to do that and produce the kind of content that we want to bring to you guys. And what that content is, is having the most comprehensive, approachable draft coverage in the Nashville media market that is Titans centric Titans focused Titans oriented but not 
just Titans with the blinders on because I think it's a disservice to introduce the draft, talk about the draft in a Titans only way without giving you all the context of the rest of the field, not having the full scope of the landscape of the draft. If you're just focusing in on the positions, the Titans need where in the draft, the Titans are going to be selecting. You're not getting the whole picture. I think it's a disservice to you to consume the draft that way. And frankly, it's just not nearly as fun. Um, the, the draft is really entertaining. So there are, you know, positions the Titans don't necessarily need. We're still going to spend a lot of time on this spring. The quarterbacks in this class, the Titans have Will Levis. They're not going to be in the quarterback market. We're still going to talk about them, right? I'm now struggling to think of other position groups the Titans don't need because that's kind of the end of the list. Like uh, running back, we won't talk a ton about the running. Or you may not want us to talk a ton about the running backs, but we will. Um, but luckily for the Titans, I guess this draft cycle is the rest of the positions that you're probably going to be interested in. So we'll talk about all of them in a comprehensive manner, but again, with the Titans as the primary focus. And we do watch tape. Don't get us wrong. We are watching tape, just not grinding the, again, just a little PSA for you all. And I think JT, you agree with me on this. There's a lot of folks that claim to be, Hey, watch the tape. I'm a tape grinder. I know I'm talking. I've, I've watched it. And a lot of them do, uh, but a lot of them definitely don't. And they, and they claim that they do. It's a lot of test puffery. Um, it's a lot of cope guys that will sit down and watch a, you know, a YouTube highlight reel, non coaches tape, um, like a seven minute highlight reel on Cooper DeGene and then feel like they know everything there is to know about Cooper DeGene. Like, you got to be wary of that kind of thing. Here's how we approach it. And JT, here's how personally I go about my draft evaluation. 50% of my opinion on these guys is based on really, in my opinion, highly educated, very thorough aggregation on my part of people out there who do the work that I trust. The James Fosters, reading through the beast that put that's put out by Dan Brugler on The Athletic, um, listening to guys like Daniel Jeremiah, being plugged in with different sources that I have around the league, that kind of thing, aggregating that opinion, finding the consensus, right? And, and, and making that the, the foundation of my opinion. That's 50% of it. Then 25% of it is the rumor mill, the zeitgeist, going to the combine and, and hearing the way that the league perceives these guys, getting the little whispers, the little tidbits, reading the tea leaves on how scouts around the league perceive the class, because that's important to know not just where guys should go, but where they're actually going to go. And then 25% of it is about my own tape study. Like I do dive into the tape on these guys, but it's more of a tiebreaker for more for me than anything. A guy like James Foster is going to sit down with no opinion on Jerzon Newton and watch an hour or two of his tape and watch seven or eight games and form a, an opinion from scratch. I'm going to take the opinion I've gotten from listening to others on Jerzon Newton, go and watch two, three games of Jerzon Newton on tape, and then let that kind of be the cherry on top for my analysis, if that makes sense. So whether you have gained or lost respect for me from that explanation, that's just the reality of it. I think that's the way that more folks in this space, in fact, I know it's the way that more folks in this space, especially like in talk radio and on the on different beats, approach draft coverage, whether they're willing to tell it to you straight like I just did, is a different question, but that's the reality of how we cover the draft. And I think that you all will appreciate that because we want to be in the simplest possible terms, the messenger from the super nerds in the weeds, super complicated, doing the heavy lifting and the hard work, interpreting that information, that data and presenting it to you guys in an informative and educational way. Does that track JT? Yeah. I mean, that was, that was the most Easton freeze route to get to the final sentence which is is what i live by as well that we're trying to bring you 
uh, the most informed content that we can making sense of all of these things that may go over fans head to make them a smarter fan. And, uh, it was a classic Eastonism right there <laughs> going it all was. the way around. Well, uh, it, no, it was I, well long winded. I, I wanted to say it once and then you hold me to this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to talk about it again. The rest of the right. draft okay. process. I'll just refer back to, uh, February 23rd. If folks want to know exactly how we approach the draft. Maybe. That being said, I will, I will get off the soapbox and we can talk about, um, you and I both came into today with some storylines that we have um, things that are being talked about now, but also things we may, you know, a little bit of forecasting of what is going to be the storyline a week from now, once the draft is over, what's going to be the big thing. So JT, I'll kick it to you. What is one of, if not the biggest storyline surrounding this 2024 combine that you're most interested to get some more information on? Yeah, well, I think the first one before we even get into the combine, the biggest thing is is that yesterday Jim Wyatt put out a tweet that officially confirmed that the Titans Mm. will have eight picks in the draft. That includes a first first round pick, of course, 101.07, 2.38, and then a fourth, fifth, sixth, and three seventh round picks. Now, why we don't know the numbers of those picks yet and why it makes it tricky when you're doing mock drafts and other things like that is because compensation picks Uh, compensatory picks have not been uh, announced yet and they have not been awarded. So it makes kind of, I don't know why they take so Uh, long. Yeah. I think it's also because obviously if with free agency and things like that, Oh wait, no, I'm dumb. You're right. It can change and things like that. It can change. um, So that's why. Okay. it, It definitely makes that a little trickier. Um, but that, that is, at least we know that the Titans will have eight picks, obviously the biggest one there, not having a third rounder in a draft where we kind of agree that the third round could be a really, really good place for value this season. So I think that's going to be a big storyline, uh, not at the combine, but just going through draft season. How will the Titans navigate that? Does that mean by way of trading down in the first round to, uh, some other picks? Is it maybe or the packaging second, that matter yeah or the second or maybe trying to package a couple of those sevens and six and move into the fifth or something like that getting some other uh earlier round compensation that'll be an interesting one as we start to kind of unfold this draft class after the combine i had somebody ask me on twitter the other day when i reposted that confirmation from jim wyatt They're like can we you know could you package two or three of those sevens and move up and get like a third or a fourth just I, i'm not trying to call anybody out for being dumb um, it's accidentally dumb. It's okay. You need to know the value of these picks. And all you have to do is Google just like NFL draft pick value chart or draft trade calculator. And you'll be able to find what the universally accepted value of these picks are, where you know each side needs to equal the same amount. If you're trading a third that's worth um, 400 points in exchange for a fourth and a fifth, the fourth and the fifth need to add up to roughly 400 points, right? Um, and so seventh round picks are like between two and a half to one points in value on those draft draft trade charts, which means you could bar, you could, you know, bundle three of them and move up and get like a sixth. I think that's kind of the end of the list. Like you could bundle two or three sevenths and get a sixth. Um, so no, the answer is no. Like you said, if they really wanted to be frisky and bundle some sevenths and their sixth move up for a fifth, that's a possibility. But um, I'd imagine a team like the the Titans in their current state is probably going to want as many swings of the bat as possible. And they may be quite pleased to have a couple of uh, three seventh round picks to just take some dart throws and see where they may land on some guys. Um, Okay. I appreciate you pointing that out because I, 
I know we had talked about for a while, the Titans have six picks or do they have seven? And now, oh, it's eight. Okay, so it's officially eight. We can be done talking about that. I, I know you have some thoughts on this and so do I. A, a big part of the conversation, not just for the Titans in this combine cycle, um, but in general, the top three receivers in this class are all going to be there in Indianapolis. And the top guy is pretty set in stone. There are some folks that have different opinions on who exactly it is. But in general, it's still very much Marvin Harrison Jr. is a small cut above the rest. And then you've got a 2A, 2B and Malik Neighbors and Roma Dunze. For a while there, it was like a pretty clear 1, 2, 3 with a Dunze as the third. It, it seems pretty clear to me that a lot of folks in the media as well as the little tidbits we started to get uh, in terms of how the league perceives these guys, it, it started to not knock Malik Neighbors' stock down a little bit, but maybe bring Adunze stock up a little bit. All three guys are considered top 10, I wouldn't say locks, but ex expected to be top 10 picks. Um, I, I'm just, I'm really curious to hear what we hear from folks in the know, as well as see these guys. I'm, I'm hoping we get to see them all um, juxtaposed together on the field at the same time. You know, folks ask us, what's the point when you can watch the tape of the senior bowl of the combine? A big part of it is, you know, you don't necessarily get to see these guys side by side for a direct comparison all the time. We're going to get to see that. You're going to get to see the movement skills. You're going to get to see the raw speed. Uh, those things do matter. And so I'm really interested to see if I, I, I'm dying to flash forward a week and ask you and I, Hey, who's got the leg up between a Dunze and neighbors? I, it's going to be interesting because I, my personal opinion is neighbors, but I could totally be talked right back into a Dunze. I think I've been flip-flopping these guys ever since right. the end of the offseason. And even so, I think that there is more and more buzz growing that these are really a 1A, 1B, 1C, and you could kind of put 1A mm. and 1B in any order. And then there's the 1C who's also worthy of that discussion. Like still I think a top 10 guy, right? Still a top exactly. 10 guy. And now I think we're going to get to the point here where after the combine, are we talking about a one, two, three uh, quarterback and then four, five, six go the receivers? Like, is that a possibility with how close these guys might be uh, in comparison? So it, it's going to be really interesting to see them side by side, get to see them run the 40 if they do, and also just get to talk to them and hear how they their their aspect on the entire draft process and uh, how they think right. they stack up against the competition. When if folks are wondering, like, why why is the perception shifting on these guys? Here's the very, very bait, and we're going to dive into detail on, on what actually differentiates these guys next week on all, all our live shows. Um, but the, the very basic explanation here is that the league seems to value the, the pro-style traits that Roma Dunze has um, a little bit more than what you see from Neighbors. When you watch their tape, Neighbors definitely has some more of that explosive element. Um, they're both they're both very, very fast, but neighbors is able to separate a little bit better, a little bit more naturally. Um, it has some more burst than Adunze has, um, whereas Adunze, he's he's got good enough separation skills. He's phenomenal at the catch point in contested catch situations, and he's always where the quarterback expects him to be. These are these are the kind of the grown up traits you're looking for in wide receivers. It's a lot a lot of those traits, for example, that you look at um, with Puka Nakua last year. Where it's like, why did he get so good so fast as a fifth round pick? Matt Stafford talked to it all the time. It's like, I, this is, I've never been with a rookie receiver where I trust him to be in the exact right spot when I need him, where I need him. Um, I know where he's going to be. I know we're on the same wavelength mentally. 
he's advanced in his his comprehension of the game and knowledge of where he needs to be and his route running is polished enough to like make that leap immediately. That's kind of the general thing that folks are talking about with the Dunze, not to knock neighbors. Again, neighbors explosiveness and ceiling is I would say a, a clear step above a Dunze. And so in what, what he can do with the ball after he catches it, the, oh, the playmaking ability right there. I yes. think that's the biggest difference. And it really is just pick your preference, right? Where one guy is just a yak King. The other one is a contested catch guy, big guy. I saw earlier uh, today, I think Daniel Jeremiah also said this, that when he talks about Roma Dunze, he talks more of in the idea of, okay, it's third and goal in the red zone. And you, everyone knows where the ball is going. And Roman Dunze, Odunze is that guy who's going to get that ball no matter what the defense does. And that's his style of play, kind of uh, a little bit of comparable to an Amari Cooper type, kind of like right. that. Um, and I think that's the biggest difference that we'll see when they run some of these drills, because I think one of our favorite drills is where um, they go across the field, l- left, right, all, th- catching all the balls from a bunch of different quarterbacks. And I think that's going to be able to show right, us back those and differences. forth and back yep. and forth, like seven catches in a row. Yeah, no, 100 um, percent. Okay, what's another what's another narrative you had written down? Some something you're looking to see when we get there. Yeah, and Kenneth also brings it up here. He says, "What are you two most excited to learn in Indy?" JJ McCarthy stock to the moon? Question mark. Let's talk about JJ McCarthy. Okay. Uh, not because it really impacts the Titans. I don't foresee a world uh, in which. But it could JJ though. McCarthy, that I was about to say. Yeah, I don't say, see in a roundabout way. Uh, where the Titans select JJ McCarthy. However, if the buzz continues to rise to the moon. Does it work in the Titans' favor? Of course, they have the seventh pick, and right after them is the Atlanta Falcons. And then from uh, picks 11 to pick 16, you have teams like the Denver Broncos, the Minnesota Vikings, and the New Orleans Saints, who all could look to try Raiders. to jump a, a, the Raiders as well, uh, who could try to look and jump over Atlanta, the Atlanta Falcons, who may be really high on him uh, mm-hmm. with the Titans, and that's where they could potentially trade back to one of those picks, grab a couple of other picks and still be able to get one of these top tackles in the draft or however they might want to play the board uh, when that comes around. So I think that in a way, if you start to see JJ McCarthy hype continue to skyrocket, I think that also skyrockets the chance that the Titans could be a very, very interesting uh, trade back partner. Yeah, there's a lot of teams in this uh, upper half of the first round that are QB needy. And a big part of the desperation is absolutely going to be the fact that, and you've probably heard this, a lot of these teams are already looking at the 2025 class and the quarterback crop is not ideal. It's it's looking a lot like a Malik Willis, Desmond Ritter, Kenny Pickett situation where the first guy might, you know, you might get one or two first round picks and then maybe later first round picks. And it's just, it's not exciting yet now. You got a whole college season where somebody can pop and have a one-year wonder season and it changes everything. But as of now, this year's options far exceed next year's options. And teams don't want to get stuck waiting two full, three full seasons, right? To to go and try to find their young guy of the future when they're in a situation like the Broncos are, like the Raiders are. These coaches and GMs, they're trying to keep their jobs. Um, I, I think that the buzz will... I, I expect it to just be outrageous, honestly. Like, I think it's going to continue to peak and peak and peak. It's 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 going to be NVIDIA just to the moon throughout the next couple of months. And whether it crashes or not eventually is less a matter of if and more a matter of when. Not This is me stepping out of bounds with the whole stock thing. I just assume all stocks come back eventually. But I know that the J.J. McCarthy stock is is bound to come back to earth eventually. I just don't know when, and I don't think it's going to be in Indianapolis the league just loves this guy, man, his age, his composure, whether or not, 
you think it's a thing that matters. I don't, but a lot of teams do. The fact that he's a winner, uh, th- those things are, are real for these scouts and these teams like his traits. Now, the pushback on that is if the selling point is he's a traitsy guy, that's cool and that's fine in general. Um, however, he's not like it's it's not an Anthea Richardson where the okay he's really raw, super raw. No one's disputing that Mike uh, that uh, McCarthy JJ McCarthy is not raw. He is he, he's not done a lot in college. He wasn't asked to do a lot in college. But but on the traits side, it's not like he's a 90, 95 percentile traits guy, right? He's like a seventy five percentile traits guy. He he's not crazy athletic. He's pretty athletic. He's not a crazy mover. He's a good mover. He doesn't have an incredible arm. He's got a very good arm, right? It's 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 a lot of good. And so that's why I personally, and, and we're going to probably bang our heads against the wall on this topic for the next couple of months. I don't really get it. Like it's very Alex Smithy, which is a fine, good quarterback, but it, as a top 15 pick is a choice. You know what I mean? I think the conversation is going to continue afterwards. It's really going to depend on if a team who, in fact, if he does warrant a trade up here, does the team have a quarterback already in place that they can sit JJ McCarthy behind them for a year or two have to, and have get to. him developed? Unless you go to a, a Las Vegas situation where if Las Vegas comes up and trades for him, well, I mean, are you going to continue to have him develop under Aiden O'Connell? Aiden or O'Connell. It's it's an interesting situation that I think we'll put him behind Jared Stidham in Denver. Uh, Hello, yeah, like that. I think personally, and uh, as we start to inform our our decisions here and start to actually make mock drafts i think the the most likely scenario for him is maybe the saints where they obviously are stuck with Derek carr for two three more years however you get a guy like jj mccarthy behind him and you start to figure out if this guy truly is the guy as you work this this uh this Derek carr situation out of their system in new orleans it may be an interesting idea there the last thing i'll say on him is that if i was power ranking the Guys that I want to see directly juxtaposed with other guys in this class, just like the, the the marquee viewing when we get into Lucas Oil Stadium and watch the drills, he's a top 10 guy for me. Just I, I want, and, and they break up, It's I, I'm going to be frustrated to no end if they break up these quarterback groups and he's the like clear and obvious best quarterback. I need to see him up against, it's like, it's like him, Caleb Williams or a Drake May. Yeah. I need to see him up against a Michael Pennant. Like, Please don't make it him and the and and it's going to be like JJ McCarthy Bradley uh Cooper Bradley I think is Cooper his name Cooper Bradley yeah uh, Michael Pratt like some it's of gonna those kill guys me if it's that's gonna what be, happens yeah, I'm going to be so upset It'll yeah. be interesting for sure though Um another thing that I'm really looking forward to seeing when we get down there is and I was talking about this on Twitter with some folks today um this this draft class at the top is really unique in the sense that it is so offense heavy and not because the defenders are bad by any stretch of the imagination, but just because you've got so many special talents on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, if I had to put the over-under on when the first defender goes in this draft class, I'm putting it at like 9 11.5 overall, because Williams and May are definitely going top 10. Marvin Harrison Jr. is definitely going top 10. The perception is you're going to get Jaden Daniels and Malik Neighbors off the board at top 10. I'd be shocked if Joe Alt falls out of the top 10. Adunze's creeping into that top 10 conversation. Brock Bowers is going somewhere in the top 15. Um, Olu Fashanu is going somewhere in the top 15. Where's the first defender, man? It's, it's fair to ask. And so if I'm, first of all, just to put this out there, if I'm a team that is in the middle-ish of the first round and my primary need is on defense, I feel like I hit the lottery, man. 
because these defenders who would be borderline, if not bona fide top 10 picks in any other draft class, just getting forcefully shoved down the draft board because of the elite talent at the top of the offensive side of the ball. You're going to have some guys fall into your lap that you shouldn't at 15, 16 overall. And it's just the nature of the, the landscape, but that's so unusual that it's leading me to believe we're going to get somebody to creep up into that bona fide top 10, uh, you know, position who's a defender. And I don't know who it is, but I have my suspicions. Um, the, the, the number one guys in my mind that could come out of this next week with that. Oh, this guy's I'll be surprised. If we don't go in the top 10 hype. Um, Quinion Mitchell, who we've been talking about for a month now, Toledo cornerback who if he tests the way that he's rumored to test is going to melt our faces off with his speed and athleticism. Um, Cooper DeGene, who unfortunately we found out today is not going to be doing uh, combine testing according to Dan Brugler, because he's still recovering from a late season leg injury, but he's going to do pro day stuff and work out with teams later in the, in the process. Um, Terry and Arnold cornerback out of Alabama. He's somebody that is talented enough, depending on which teams prefer his style of play to sneak into that top 10. Um, Jerzon, I guess I'll start calling him by, does he officially want to go by Johnny? Do we know that? Is, okay. So Johnny Newton, um, out of Illinois, right? Yes. Uh, Johnny Newton out of Illinois, um, defensive lineman, the top interior defensive lineman in this class who, you know, I think people are, sl- this has been a trend the past three or four years for me, JT. And you can disagree with me if, if you think I'm wrong. We talk all the time about what is premium and what is non-premium positions. And the defensive line category falls like in that DMZ gray area in the middle where it's like, well, you know, if you got an Aaron Donald or a Chris Jones or a Jeffrey Simmons, that's definitely a, that is a premium player, dude. Like if you've got a, if you got a guy in the middle that can get after the quarterback, like an edge rusher and is impossible to run up against, it doesn't get more premium than that. That, that is, that is so valuable. So I feel like we're at the point in the modern NFL where a stud defensive lineman who is a, not just a, you know, run stuffing nose tackle tier tart type, but like a Jeffrey Simmons can do both things type. That's a premium position that is, is worth taking the top 15 picks. Do you disagree? No, I think so as well. I think that they can be a game wrecker and that's what you're looking for most on defense. And I think there's also a couple other guys, like just how many Didn't good Wilson say that in his, in his press conference was like, Jeff, we, somebody asked him about Jeff Simmons. He's like, he can change the game by himself. That's what yes. these guys can do. Um, and I think that that there is a lot of guys who can do that. And you just named, I think, five, six guys right there. I think there's another four that could be in that top 10 conversation. Well, I two, guys, two. Best you, edge rusher. You look at guys yep. like also a corner like Nate Wiggins, who seems to continue to go Thompson. under yep. the radar there. You go to a guy like Byron Murphy, the second, who is like he, you have his counterpart in Tavon or Tavondre Sweat, who has been getting a lot of buzz at the 100%. Senior Bowl. Well, guess what? There was a guy who was even better than him, and his name's Byron Murphy. And then you have the two who were the consensus during the college season in Dallas Turner and Jared Verse. Could they and re-enter the conversation this week? It, it'll be really interesting to see because this we talk about how deep the like the wide receiver and the tackle. There are so many good defensive players uh, in this draft that teams are going to get such value on them in the later first round. So it'll be really interesting to see how it uh, shakes out. And Jacob brings up in the comments, two guys that we didn't even mention shop Robinson, an edge rusher out of Penn state. And, um, and uh, I'm totally blanking on his name. Dallas Turner. Uh, Dallas Turner. Thank you. Dallas Turner, uh, edge rusher out of Alabama. Both guys that were Bruce Feldman freaks list guys. They're going to show out from an athletic standpoint, from a testing standpoint for sure. So um, while, while, you know, 
I like Chop Robinson, but I like where he's actually slotted to go, which is like late first, early second. I'm not crazy about Dallas Turner. He's just not my cup of tea, but for some teams, he may very well be. Um, We're getting to the point, JT, where I'm familiar enough with the draft class that I'm willing to make some definitive hot take statements just to kind of put them out there. Like, I don't necessarily... We went over this last year where it's my favorite Louis C.K. bit where it's like, of course, of course. But maybe like that's the bit where it's like, of course, this thing is true. But there's a part of my brain in the dark recesses of my heart that's like, maybe this is the case. And so, of course, you know, we we don't know how many defenders are going to go where in, in the, the top 20 picks. But maybe just maybe I'm going to go out on a limb and say, Johnny Newton and Byron Murphy are both off the board in the top 20 picks. I think the, both of those defensive linemen are going to be viewed as valuable premium picks, premium position players that can change the game by themselves I and mean, are I'll, I'll ready go, enough I'll to go, go that I'll go one, one better, one better than you. I think that if he can continue on his streak and I think these are, um, these are, this can segue into our next biggest storyline here one of the biggest value darlings of the week, if he continues on his trajectory, is Byron Murphy's counterpart, as I already mentioned, Devondre mm-hmm. Sweat. Sweat. I, yeah. Of course, that there is one that's better than the other. But maybe we see both Texas defensive linemen go in the top 25. I think that, that, could, I think that definitely could happen. If uh, You I think we're, we, we may just be overlooking Sweat because of... Because, because of, of the existence Byron of Byron yes. Murphy. And right. I think that if he continues to test well here, I think Tavondre Sweat could start creeping ever so closer to that first round and maybe into the top 25. I love that because my my favorite kind of value pick in the, in the draft is finding guys that were on the same team who did the same thing. And just that, again, that direct comparison always, I think, makes the second guy undervalued too too much if that makes sense like kool-aid mckinstry is probably going to be undervalued in comparison to terry noddle just because they're both on the same team right both of the texas defenders like you mentioned um you know you've got roman wilson out of michigan but the, you know the other receiver um oh, what's his name the other michigan receiver i'm going to find it real quick i know who you're talking about uh he was at the shrine bowl i believe yeah Corne- cornelius johnson who was his yep. counterback co- counterpart he was the two in michigan he's a guy that i've watched a little bit of his tape and listened to some folks talk about him he seems to be a really nice value guy who's number two he's 271 on the consensus board right now you may be able to get a, him as a flyer and he'd be a really nice late round pick so those are just some examples of guys that are like that that kind of fit that mold that i i get really excited about because i'm like what what are we overlooking here what what are we missing um Okay, what else do we want to talk about here? Can we talk about the tackles for a minute? Because I think the top of this tackle class is not nearly as cut and dry as it's been made out to be early on. It never is, right? Um, but I think we're going to learn a lot about these guys this week. We're going to learn a lot about what the league perceives them to be. And first of all, man, what a good year to need a tackle. Because there are like seven or eight of these guys that are bona fide first round pick material. Um, so... A lot of teams are going to be happy with the tackle they get out of this class. But just to refresh folks on who is available, you, of course, got the top two guys in Joe Alt and Olufishanu. A very close third, in my opinion, um, is Tillis Fuaga out of Oregon State. And then you've got J.C. Latham out of Alabama, Amarius Mims out of Georgia, Troy, Troy uh, Fatanu out of Washington, Tyler Guyton out of Oklahoma, Jordan Morgan out of Arizona, who's not really a tackle, so ignore that, actually. Kingsley Suomatea out of BYU, Patrick Paul out of Houston, 
all of these guys. It's that's one, and two, first, three, four, the, five, six. The first seven, seven eight, guys you just said right there. Nine. Um, from Joe Alt all the way down to Amarius Mims there. Um, including Joe Alt, Olu Fushanu, Talise Fuaga, JC Latham, Troy Fatanu, Tyler Guyton, and Amarius Mims are all on Dar- Daniel Jeremiah's top 20 prospects. That's seven that, that tackles seven guys? in the top 20 Goodness. prospects. Yeah, so they're all going to they're all going to blow our minds, and I think that the order in which they are valued, the perceived order that they're going to go off the board, it's going to shut. It's going to shuffle a little bit. I I talked about this on Twitter the other day, where I I think that uh, Tillis Fuaga is being overlooked um, as a guy that is in that he's knocking on the door of that top tier. Alton, first of all, from what I've been hearing, the league is not as high on Fashanu as some folks in the media are. There's a little not not to say that he's not going to be a first round pick. He is, but he may be a guy that slips out of the top ten. And it's and continuing you, with Joe Alt. I mean, I just saw Greg Cosell go on three uh, HL on one hundred four five and say that he was not uh, excited about the Joe Alt tape. He was not. He was not really impressed with it. Wow. So that's also yeah, an, I'll have to go listen interesting, to that. That is interesting indictment there as well. Um, so I mean, there are people who I mean, you're just going to pick your poison there. I think, and that's going to be really wow. interesting. Greg Cosell, I mean, like, listen, I defer to Greg. He's been watching tape for a lot longer than I've been alive. Um, but that is, I'm going to have to go listen to that because that is fascinating. Um, regardless, th- th- there are so many guys that are talented. And I think the order of them is going to shake up a little bit. One guy that I think most folks are going to come away from this week really stoked about um, is Amarius Mims, who the more I look into him and the more I, I watch some tape and read up on, on his background, uh, I, I retweeted a video of him from high school. I don't know if you saw this the other day. Um, I did, yes. He was roughly twice the size of every other kid, both in height and in, in weight. I sent it to my brother and he, he refused to believe that I was being serious. He thought I was messing with him. When I told him those were high schoolers, he said, no, no, no. Those are 10 year olds that are surrounding Amarius Mims. I, there's no, like this must be middle school. And I said, no, this is, these are 17 year old boys who are all normal sized five foot 11 170 pound high school football players. And Amarius Mims is 17. He's like, he's like 290, six foot seven. Yeah. Could you imagine uh, being on the opposite team, having to go play that high school? You know, you, you've had a rough day. Uh, your last day, class of the day was like probably algebra two or pre-calc. And then algebra you got to get on the bus and face that man. Who was like already hamstring first play. Yeah. I, sorry, I, I'm, coach. I'm tapping I'm out. <laughs> yeah, I'm out. <laughs> it's crazy. I'm, fake, but I'm I think, faking an injury. I think he has maybe the most to gain this week because mm, the biggest agreed. knock on him is that he simply just has not played as much as the other top tackles that are currently on the have first round grades. I think eight starts in college, right? Yeah. Eight. Just so eight. I think the main concern there is that, well, he hasn't had enough experience, but the experience that he has, if you just look at that and take that without the context of, of him only having played eight games, he looks like a first round top of the first round guy. Yes, he's he's somebody that if he had gone back to school, you, you could very reasonably he assume could be the he, Joe Alt of next he, year. I was about to say he may be a top 10, top five pick the top tackle with the bullet in the next class. If he just had more reps on tape, had more experience in college. So, yes, he is the biggest mystery box and his upside just based on physical traits alone and the very, very limited sample size we saw, man, like. His upside is the best tackle in this class. His upside is a is a bona fide stud tackle in the league for the next decade or so. Um, he just he, he's six seven three thirty. He should physically not be able to move the way that he does. It is incredible. He is an elite athlete in that way. So he's a guy that I'm really excited to 
to watch out there as well as uh, Talese Fuaga and uh, JC Latham, who I, I think folks are a little bit lower on Latham than they should be just by the nature of the fact that most people got most exposed to him watching him in the one playoff game that he played. Like I believe it or not, JC Latham did put some more college football on tape than just the Rose bowl against Michigan on new year's day. If that's all you saw of him, your opinion of him is probably lower because it wasn't his best game in the world. Uh, go watch some other games, man. Like he, the, the guy can, the guy can play ball. He's a first round tackle. I promise. And so while I don't think he's knocking on the door for that top three, four, five tackle position, he's absolutely a first round pick. And he's absolutely a guy that is, is a, is a somebody that wouldn't surprise me in the, in the slightest. If he was a starting caliber tackle and somebody that you wish you had on your team. Yep. I totally agree there. You got something else you want to bring up or do we want to talk about risers or fallers? We want to take this. Let's, let's move on to the risers and fallers. Okay. Um, I mean, the only other thing we could say is who's the freakiest athlete. And I think that's already well, that's we're talking about that anyways. that's got to be Joe Milton. Like Joe Milton's just going to be the freakiest he's, guy. Oh, he's going to be the darling. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't he's wait. Gonna, to see. He's going to get himself a draft spot this week. Right. And well, I think when they, when they, when they, when they the do the, when they do it. the drill with the radar gun, they just go Mac. They tell him to just unload as fast as you can. Uh, it's going to, I mean, it's just going to be eye candy, right? It's going to yep. be incredible. It's, it's, you're right that he's going to get himself drafted this week. Um, whether that is for good or for not, listen, you know, if he comes into the league and just becomes a, uh, becomes a, a, a totally blank on his name out of new Orleans. Hello. He's making $10 million a year. Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill. If he, he's just a Taysom Hill for somebody. Taysom Hill's being paid very handsomely. Like that's, it's good work if you can get it. Um, and he could, I mean, listen, Joe Milton is, Fellas, I stood next to him a couple weeks ago. Fellas built the right way to play in the NFL. He he can he he can with the, play with like the, a Taysom Hill. With the Saints' current cap situation, you could totally see them cut Taysom Hill and just draft <laughs> Joe Milton in the seventh, <laughs> and then give the him next ten million dollars a year. Yeah. Right? No, one hundred percent. So, who are some guys that uh, you think had the maybe not expecting them to rise or fall the most, but guys that you think have the most to gain or to lose. I, 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 that's how I'm approaching it, at least to how you approach this. Yeah. And I think the first one, I think I'm going to counter something that you just said, because it may define my opinion of him a little bit more. And that's Talise sure. Fuaga. I think he has a lot to lose this week. If he measures kind of like how Peter Skaronsky measured, um, that's been the one knock on him is that his arm length, uh, is is a little suspect and I know we already have his arm length at the senior bowl but um, going into this one here uh, you start to see even more of those measurements where they do the full scale of that and I think that's um, I think that's going to be really interesting to see that is he going to be this year's kind of Peter Skaronsky where you start to hear well can he play the position on the outside there at left tackle or is the team that drafts him moves him inside to play guard? I think that's uh, the interesting thing there. And when um, you start to get into those conversations, that's where he has a lot to lose because then he doesn't, he doesn't become one of those top tackles. He becomes a guard where just like last year's conversation, do you really want to pick a guard in the top 10, top 15? No, I, I I'm with you. And I think it's going to, it's going to be that key positional value expectation conversation for the next couple of months with Talise Fuaga, um, where, you know, you're right that he, he does, he's not nearly as short in terms of arm length as Skaronsky is. He's got like a full three quarters inches on him. I think Skaronsky was like 32 and a fourth inch arms. I think that at the senior bowl, Fuaga was like 33 and a fourth, not 33 and a half, something like that. So he is under the benchmark. He does have shorter arms. But 
to be clear to folks, like we talk all the time about this 34 inch arm benchmark. It it's, it's malleable, right? Like I, I, you want to hear two names JT that are well, I say well below right in line with the Talese Fuaga arm length conversation of the past couple of seasons. And we've seen them in the NFL. Their names are Rashawn Slater and Panay Sewell. Both of those guys had sub 34 inch arms in the same ballpark as Talese Fuaga. And they are two of the top 10, maybe five left tackles or tackles in general in the entire league. Um, and so there's, there's a lot more to it um, where it's it's not a one-to-one comparison with Skaronsky. Skaronsky's arms were like prohibitively short yes. in that to a lot of folks. I now, think I've, that I've, he's just, uh, I think he's the the guy this week that if you hear the, the conversation outside, it's going to be talked so about a lot. It's going yeah. to be talked about. And I think that if there was, we already know that Jordan, he's going to get the Jordan Morgan treatment that Jordan Morgan <laughs> got at the senior bowl. Maybe like that's what I could see happen for Talese Fuaga this week. A guy that I think has a lot to gain is Keon Coleman, who's a, a little bit of a darling for me, wide receiver out of FSU. You probably saw him put on some of the craziest single game performances you can remember just from a, you turned on sports center, a highlight tape of one guy like in September and October. And then it kind of fell off the face of the planet the rest of the season. And so there's a reason why he was talked about very, very early in the college season as like, is he, you know, is, is it him and Marvin Harrison as the top two receivers in this class? He's certainly a top, you know, top 15 guy. And now he's being mocked like top of the second round. I, I think that folks are too low on him too. I think that he'll ultimately end up going in the late first round because of a lot of the things we're going to see him show us this week, that athleticism, the freaky, the freaky traits, the freaky measurements, the freaky size, the freaky speed. It, it, it's all there with this guy. It, there, you you watch some of his tape. There's a lot of like concentration drops and and maybe some effort issues, taking some reps off. Like I don't know if his head was totally in it all the time, and that's a red flag in and of itself. But when he's on, man, this guy's on. His ceiling is really really high, and if he just shows out in these drills, it may reaffirm a lot of the previous notions that folks had about this guy a couple of months ago and bump him into that bona fide first round conversation. Yeah, he's a guy that I think I'm a lot lower on than you are. So it'll be really interesting right. to see how he tests this week. A guy that I also continue to be lower on, um, who kind of is in the same boat of a Tavondre Sweat, where they could continue their rise uh, of stock from the Senior Bowl into the Combine. Roman Wilson, I now right. am starting to hear uh, him receiver, getting some, right. some, the Michigan receiver, the wide receiver one out of Michigan. Um, I'm starting to hear a lot of buzz that he could be a, a for for sure a day two pick, but maybe a late second rounder. Um, right. He's a guy that I think still, even if he is getting the hype, uh, he measured in uh, at the Senior Bowl uh, with a shorter height and less weight than what Kyle Phillips came out as when he was drafted, which I think right. is a huge red flag for that, um, for him at least. So it'll be interesting to see how he tests this week. And clearly, uh, clearly we have learned nothing from our tank Dell opinion last year. Yeah, but, it, uh, I guess not. Maybe, maybe is we he a not, Kyle Phillips or is he a tank Dell? It's it'll be really interesting to see. And I know. think that we'll have right. to take that uh, into fat into account this week as, as we go watch Roman Wilson and some of those smaller body receivers. My final answer to the risers and followers conversation is not an actual person, but just an idea. JT last year, you and I really, and I'm looking forward to this a ton. We really enjoyed going, and we know more about this class. I, 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 I won't speak for you. I know a lot more about this class going into the combine this year than I, I knew about too. last year's class going in. 
that being said, there there are still plenty of day two and day three guys that I am just marginally familiar with and have not watched at all yet. I'm, I'm stoked to go in for those training days or the, excuse me, the, uh, the, the, uh, athletic testing days and just sit in Lucas oil and, and just watch and try to see what my eye is drawn to last year. We did that. And we had a pretty decent hit rate. Like some guy, like we were both very drawn to Josh downs. He clearly was a guy that was a difference maker quickly. Zay flowers was awesome. That athleticism showed, um, some other guys like Blake Freeland out of BYU was a tackle who I was higher on than most. He ended up having to play a lot of this year for the Colts was serviceable for a fifth round guy better than I think a lot of folks expected him to be. So that kind of thing where you just, you see who sometimes it's just, it's just that easy, right? It, sometimes it is as simple as just look to see who is moving different, who is, is operating differently out there. That matters for guys that are going to be able to make it on Sunday. And so I'm curious to see who are the three, four, five, six value darlings that you and I come out ranting and raving about and making our guys based on having seen them on the field. Yeah, I think the only, another one that I would have added was A.T. Perry last year. Yes. Uh, it was a guy who somehow fell into the sixth round and then came up in a big way uh, down the stretch for that Saints team where he was a red zone threat through and through. So that those are the guys that we are looking for. And especially there's no better year than this year where the Titans do really have a, an abundance of those late round picks. That's where our more Titans in, informed decision might come in this year where uh, as opposed to last year where it was more on the early side of the rounds. Okay, we're about to get out of here, but I know, JT, you did some research on uh, a general PSA for Titans fans based on what positions they should be focused in on most throughout this draft process and at the Combine. Uh, it's I think the general thesis here is that the Titans need a whole lot more than just receiver and, and tackle. Um, and people know this generally, but you you actually have pulled up the the, the grim roster situation the Titans are currently in. Do you want to share that? Yeah, so let's talk about a couple of other positions that the Titans are absolutely barren at. And this is from Spotrack, looking at the guys who are still under uh, contract for the upcoming year uh, for the Titans. Let's start at the linebacking position, because that okay. is one uh, where I think if if they were to add to this or when they need to add to this linebacking when they, core, they, they do um, need to. <laughs> they do yeah. need to. Uh, I think they may attack free agency a lot more aggressively as I started uh Looking at this linebacker class, it's not the greatest. I think that's one of the weaker classes this season. But I like Nathaniel look at the... Watson out of Mississippi State, but that's kind of mm-hmm. that's like when he's the best guy you can think of. Then yeah, it's yeah. you know it's a fourth um, round guy, not, yeah. not going to be a guy you want to start in twenty twenty four. I think correct. Is the point. Um, but let's look at the guys who are under contract for uh, the twenty twenty five or twenty twenty four season. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are just the inside linebackers. These are guys who are playing true linebacker, not outside okay. linebacker edge kind of combos like Harold Landry and Arden Key, but the linebackers on uh, contract or under contract right now are Luke Gifford, Caleb mm. Murphy, Garrett Wallow, Thomas Rush, Jojo Doman, and Otis Reese. It's uh. so are those the backups or where are the starters at? Nope. Though that's, that's, that's the, the only whole, ones. that's all that's of them. The list. Gotcha. That is the list. So, yeah. They, so they need to, they need two starting linebackers. That's what you're telling. They me. do. We can move gotcha. on to the, okay. the quarterbacks that are currently under contract uh, where you look at Caleb Farley, who is still under contract. It'll be interesting yeah. to see what they do with him. Uh, Roger McCreary, Elijah Molden, Anthony Kendall, and Tay Goan, which hey I hadn't Gowan. even heard of uh, Tay Goan. 
I'm not even quite sure, but those are the five He's just that are to be here. Tay is. Yeah, he really you. is, but he is yeah. the he is the fifth one, and that's the five cornerbacks that they have under contract right now. Love that. Um, obviously, with Sean Murphy bunting only on a one year deal, we'll see if he comes back. Obviously, Christian Fulton most likely is not back. Uh, it'd be very interesting to see if he does come back yeah. at all. I would not. I would not be very high on that. And then finally, the the safety position and uh, who they have under contract here. Uh, Amani Hooker, of course, but then you look at the other safeties. You have Trey Avery, Shaheen mm. Carter, Mike Brown, Eric Guerra, and Matt Jackson. Certainly not guys that you want starting in 2024. And with a class that has a bunch of cornerbacks and safeties, and it is a deep class at that, mm-hmm. um, I think the, the main point of this is that do not get yourself so wrapped up in the idea that this is <laughs> right. just going to be wide receivers and tackles. If I would not be surprised to draft two receivers and two tackles, and then they can t- look at the rest of it. No, yes, it's not the way um, it's going to be, it's man. It's not the it's way not. that that's going to go. And I think that as we talk about, as more and more of these defensive guys get pushed down uh, the board here, they, they, the Titans could still continue to be open to all options. And if there is a guy like that, Nate Wiggins, or if, if, any of these other corners are there at 38. I think that could be a really interesting possibility that the Titans could pursue. I completely agree. And I mean, yeah, you just, you name, you put it out there like that. You name three under talked about positions on the Titans defensive side of the ball where they, they need, they really need two starting caliber players at all three of those positions in the next couple of months, whether that's drafting them or signing them in free agency and in free agency, it's not like there's a million options. And so, that is a sobering way to put it. All right, that is going to be it from us today. JT and I are going to take a couple days off as we do a lot of prepping behind the scenes, getting ready for the indie run. Our schedule next week is going to be a little bit different. So if you are used to catching us right now in the offseason, our schedule has been Tuesday afternoons and Thursday afternoons live, taped for Wednesday and Friday morning releases on the podcast feed. We'll be having a show each and every afternoon in Indianapolis, live from our Airbnb studio, which is going to be very pretty, and it's going to be a good time. Um, but you're going to check it out starting Tuesday night. So Tuesday night, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and probably Saturday, if I had to guess, we'll be doing a live show every evening. The time that those will be at will be set when we get there and kind of figure it out. It will be somewhere in the 5 to 6 p.m. range when we're starting off the show, I would imagine. So be looking for us around that early afternoon or late afternoon, early evening dinner time set. And you're going to want to tune in because we have a lot planned. It's not just going to be JT and I ranting and rambling about what we saw that day. Um, we're going to have some, some pre-prepared segments, some thoughts from some special guests. It's going to be a whole thing. We're really stoked about it. You're going to love it. It's going to be really, really fun. And so make sure to check our show out Tuesday through Saturday evening next week live from indianapolis until then for producer jt i'm your host easton freeze subscribe to all the things we'll talk to you next week on the hot read podcast